This episode of Living the Dream is brought to you by Ooh La La Cosmetics. That's O-O-H-L-A-L-A cosmetics.ca. Guys, does your girl wear makeup? Well, none of us know what to get. So go to the website, click catalog, and get a gift certificate. Enter discount code DREAM and get 15% off your entire order. Go now. Support the podcast. My guest today is a writer, teacher at the Gordy Sampson Song Camp, a solo artist, inventor, sword fighter. You may know him from such bands as Slow Coaster, Not Work, and We Are Summer. He also co-wrote and performed the theme song for this podcast. So without further ado, please give it up for Steve McDougall. <laughs> I don't know, man. I want to talk about everything with you. Everything we always talk about is sure. That's what I want to get into. I want to. I think I first want to talk about actually being a musician, as as this kind of podcast gears towards yeah. the living the dream aspect. I really want to delve into what it is like to be a full time musician and really like when you started. When did you know, when did you really know that you wanted to do it for a living and not, not quit really? Or you're, you're, I think I was dream dreaming the dream from like, say 13. Right. I formed my first band when I was 15. What were you called? We were called, we were called Absolute. Absolute? Yeah. Just straight on spelling? Straight up. (laughs) What year was that? That would have been 93, I think. What the, what genre? It was, it started off as kind of cover stuff. We had, I, we'd kind of been, we had known a few older bar playing musicians that were already playing, like, you know, they're playing in the, the clubs, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And this, we lived way, well, I lived in a little village called Donkin, way out in the friggin' boonies. So like... <clears throat> The grunge era that was really starting to kick in in the metropolis of Sydney hadn't really hit, you know, my group of people yet kind of thing. Right. My group of people were, you know, or like I said, we were kind of looking up to these older musicians and they were playing. They were like, well, if you're going to play the bars, you have to play Trooper songs and Here for a Good Time. <laughs> and you have to play Summer 69. You and have to be the radio. <laughs> you have to be the radio from 20 years before, you know. Right. So I focused so hard on that and so hard on like perfection coming out of say like a Metallica phase or heavy metal and shit like guitar playing, shredding. I was so focused on that that I I didn't really pay attention to what was going on music wise. I got to university and it was like when I got to university in 1995, 96, 
it was the year after Cobain had died. I remember being in my last year of high school in a different school because they tore down our school. That's my, my giant fat cat walking around. <laughs> and uh, I got to high school in Glace Bay and everyone was listening to Nirvana and stuff. And I was like, this is such crap. <laughs> I was like, why would you listen to somebody that can barely fucking... You know what that is? That is the, uh, that's the start of the podcast alarm. Long story short, uh, I couldn't believe like grunge. I couldn't believe, I couldn't wrap my head around why people were into not such good technical players. Right. And then uh, I slowly kind of got into it. I was a little late to the game, but, and then I moved to Vancouver just to get as far away from where I grew up at it in Canada as possible. Oh my God, what is, is that my cat at the door? Yeah. I'll just let her out. She's such a giant shit bag. She's just such a, she just needs to go outside to know that it's raining. Isn't she, isn't she fat? She's very fat. So fat. <laughs> have to get a picture to post. Anyway, the story is not very exciting. So long no, story, long story short, I was living in Vancouver and I was, you know, working various jobs and stuff, but playing at little clubs and everything, just me and my acoustic experiencing my first taste of like, uh, lack of a better term like modern hippie living kind of thing like you go out there it's a pile of Quebecois and Australians with dreads right you know white guys with dreads white girls with dreads I ended up being one of those white guys with dreads after a pretty quick time do you have pictures of you with dreads I had one picture I had one picture and it's just it's just lost to the to the ether I, I think I need to see that picture oh, fuck me too <laughs> me too I need that picture. It didn't. It goes pre-digital. Like digital, everybody has digital. Photo, right. You know, things for, could actually be lost. Things could be lost. You could take a picture and you never see that picture again. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I just worked all these various jobs and started living that life. And uh, I was my first. This would have been like 1998 when all these these guys were walking around and they were like, "We take mushrooms all day long." Right. Every day. <laughs> They're like, we, we treat, de- we treat depression with mushrooms. And right. that's actually, I've seen it in the news lately. And I've had yeah. friends of mine out there would have this vial, these vials of powdered mushrooms and they would just constantly take them all the, like all day long. And, uh, I, I, when I came back to the East coast and in, in like just before 2000 to kind of form this band that we kind of pseudo formed out there, uh, Devin and I, but didn't have a bass player we kind of brought that back with us that some of that sensibility that hippie sensibility that really had it started to kind of hit here but we didn't really know anybody especially in Cape Breton Island there was it was zero right it was when I first started coming to this part of the east coast where I saw it again very quickly after I'd come New back New Brunswick you mean yeah yeah New Brunswick is the BC of of the Maritimes it really is yeah Charlotte County is definitely like the the northern BC of the East Coast, you know, just the scenery and the, the general attitude and stuff. I talk to people in New Brunswick and I say like, I love New Brunswick, it's so laid back. It's so this, and they're like, oh, really? We find it really religious and stuffy in New Brunswick. I'm like, fuck, will you try out Nova Scotia for a couple of years? Right. <laughs> uh, so that was the beginning of Slow Coaster in that BC. That was like the beginning in BC and playing reggae music because we lived on this place called Commercial Drive, which was a... Uh, I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but it's kind of like the epicenter of all... It was the epicenter of all that. I've been back a few times, and it's kind of gotten a little gentrified now. 
but uh, it would be you know you'd go to the park and people would be smoking weed in the park and it was you know that was my first taste of the Grateful Dead it was my first taste of fish right um, my bosses at my job would just be blaring it constantly blaring sublime and blaring uh, Grateful Dead like I said it was like I had known I'd known that these bands existed but it just they weren't on my radar really or I yeah. couldn't understand it a friend of mine who had moved, lived in BC and came back to Cape Breton we were roommates just before I moved to BC and he listened to Fish constantly and I just couldn't wrap my head around it like again yeah. it was like another musical genre that I've encountered as a musician and I'm just like who the fuck would listen to this like right. I remember listening to the solo from Reba and just being like who the fuck would listen to this <laughs> how long was it uh, it was long it was it, well, it was the CD version of, oh. of Reba and as irony would have it, four years later, I get pulled over by the cops doing an insane amount of, of, of speed on the highway getting to a gig. And I got out of it by saying, I was listening to this solo and I turned up and it was the Reba solo. Yeah, now, I, now I tout that as one of the friggin', you know best pieces of music in modern history. <laughs> At the time, I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck was this? But that's that. Yeah. And, yeah. And then it just kind of went from there. That's, you know, that whole culture, like it's, it's never going to end, you know? It's it's always going to be around. You you go to see Humphreys all the time and stuff, right? Humphreys McGee, yeah. Yeah, Humphreys. 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 Well, it's, it's the cult aspect of a of a jam band where, like, every show is so completely different that you, you can keep going. Like, I've seen Metallica and I've seen bands like that where the show is the same set list every night. No, no variation to the songs, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you kind of... They're big enough that they can sell out stadiums and play the same set every single night. Mm-hmm. But bands on a tier just below need that jam aspect and the improv to make to make uh, <laughs> to make each show unique and to keep you coming back. Like they make all their money from people seeing four shows in a row. Yeah, but you're not going to want to go to four shows in a row where. It's the exact same show every night. Well, the jam world isn't making its money on royalties either, right? Or exactly. any of that stuff. I don't I don't view them as being on a tier below. I view them as being like on a dimension over. Yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? Because I, I went to see Fish once in my life. Mm-hmm. And it was two summers ago at Mansfield. And of course, following the band and being in a band and playing all these jam festivals and stuff, I, I kind of had it in my head what it was going to be. But it was so much better. Right. It was so much more than that. And, uh, you know, and we, we, as a band, as, as Sloco, we've lived our lives like that. Like we've lived our lives kind of being forced into the mainstream a few times mm-hmm. and then trying to trade chase that dragon a few times, which is really kind of gets, gets to your brain and I've never, never wanted it any other way. You know, once your eyes are kind of open to a few things here and there. Right. Well, that's kind of the, the. I guess the unknown side of the business, like everybody thinks you want to be on TV and you want to get that big single and you want to have, you want to be the one hit wonder and just get famous. But really that's not how the music business works. And I think, I think a few people have a a bizarre notion or they just have this set notion of what, what you should have done or what you should be doing or what echelons you should have reached. When we were touring Japan, we mostly just toured Tokyo we were introduced to this idea in Japanese culture called water business. 
And what water business means is uh, it's just business that has no tangible effect. It might have a tangible effect on society in an underlying tone, but it has no tangible business effect that is respectable. So, for instance, uh, theater, strip clubs, uh, brothels, and music are all filed under water business. So the government has kind of essentially just let the mafia take over all those businesses because they just don't want to. It's not. It's, it's like dishonorable for, for the for a businessman to be involved in water business. You know what right. I mean? So when I see somebody or hear somebody give out the hate for the business like that or hate for the artist or uh, you know they don't understand that for every million guitar players like literally a fucking million people there'll be one guy that becomes like the guitar flavor of the month or something like that because the guitar is kind of weird in these days anyway but what I'm trying to say is it's very rare for someone to be like a Justin Bieber rich you know or famous kind of thing so instead of shooting for that, just shoot for happiness and shoot for longevity. For us, it's always been a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm venting because I haven't had that kind of hate in a long time. <laughs> right. I've had a lot of hate. Like, it's happened. When, when our two worlds have met, like when the mainstream, uh, mainstream in, in air quotes, you know, Exclaim Magazine and... Uh, what's it called, um, pitchfork and stuff. Mm-hmm. When those worlds have met my world, they just don't understand each other ever. Mm-hmm. I've ever exclaimed being like, exclaim came to one of our shows and it was fantastic. It was like a set it evolve or something like that. And it was fucking awesome. Um, the audience was super into it. We were super, it was crazy. There's thousands of people and stuff. And exclaim was like lame. <laughs> <laughs> it's so relative because you hear what you hear what they like and it's like what the fuck like (laughs) I could throw my cat down the stairs but then you know I made the same music (laughs) but then that's that becomes my opinion people making opinions on art is to me is like it's trying to like explain music to someone that's deaf you know what I mean it's like it's so you can't I can't come to you and say what you like is not good exactly I've always felt that publications like that should only have somebody who enjoys that style of art reporting on that style of art because the only people that are going to read it are the people that enjoy it as well so you might as well get an opinion from somebody who actually enjoys the same things as you because there's a ton of stuff i don't like dude like i don't need to be reporting on that i'm not trying to influence people to not like something you should be trying to influence people who don't like to like it you know what i mean oh they fuck they trashed us they're just like, <laughs> what a, that is nothing but a mediocre rock band who plays too long or, right. blah, 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 blah. but that's what sells. Yeah. But right? me, meanwhile, you know, they're like, but wait to hear the new stars album. It's going to blow your mind. It's only <laughs> ukulele and, uh, armpit farts. <laughs> that actually doesn't sound too bad. You know, it's like five out of five out of five stars for that record. <laughs> so those are socks. I know, but it's just completely different worlds. Something that a lot of people don't know is that you actually do play music outside of slow coaster. You write music and you, you go to Nashville and you work there. So like, what can you tell me about that? What, like that aspect of the music industry that really nobody's really familiar with, like writing music for other, other bands. Like I've said to people before, like, Oh, this guy writes 
all the songs for Taylor Swift. And people are like, no, Taylor Swift writes all her own songs. So there's just so much about the music industry that people don't understand. They see a performer and they believe that everything that that performer is saying is that performer's property. So like, what can you tell us about that? Like, yeah, I played a few days. Like, I just spent this whole, this weekend. I did multiple shows with three different acts. I guess like the I did a show in uh, in St. John for the Alzheimer's benefit thing they had there. I did that mm-hmm. as solo as myself. Yep. Went down to Paddle Fest here, and myself and uh, Mike Humble played in our side project called We Are Summer. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Halifax and played at the uh, Tattoo Festival with the Celtic band. Not work. But, you know, I, I actually took a break from Nashville and I'm starting just, just kind of starting to send some stuff back out again because it's a little yeah. hard in the head. It's a totally different hustle. Right. It's a little more, it's a little more real. I can't explain that, but like <clears throat> since the time you become a musician, you have it in your head that you're, you're, the fantasy is you're on stage, you're the guy, you're Michael fucking Jackson, you know what I mean? Like. Right you're you're the guy and or your band is the band and you try to set that bar and then you you try to get as close as you can to that fire you know and i've felt it a few times i have definitely felt like you know you're on stage and it's tens of thousands of people and they're totally loving it and you're just like a fucking greek golden god right like that and then that feeling goes away and then it's just it's worse than a drug right that's why i think that's why so many artists experience like a type of mental illness or a crushing depression that's you see it's like oh now the fucking fat cat wants back in i'm keeping all this cat stuff in this podcast by the way of course this cat's probably just looking for some kentucky fried chicken or something (laughs) you're so fat (laughs) what's your cat's name that is sasha how does an animal let itself get so fat i'm not entirely sure they're supposed to be they're not supposed to be inside, I don't think. They're they're lions, man. They're not. They're not supposed they to be, be hunting. Neither one of those animals there, that Yorkie and that cat, are supposed to exist at all. <laughs> That's true. People are like people will bred. be carrying around their Yorkie, saying like, "Say no to GMO foods." <laughs> Eating a banana and carrying a Yorkie. I know it. That's a totally other podcast. <laughs> anyway, I, they should be hunting. I forget what I was talking about. Just uh, Nashville. Nashville. I, my a bridge story is I grew up. In Cape Breton Island, there's kind of like the echelon of music. Cape Breton is, so, is that's all we have is music, right? And the ability to ever for everybody to be a musician. It's like a imagine a whole island of people that are being pushed into dentistry or something. That Cape Breton's right. like that only is music, and it's actually you know a respectable thing. Oh, you're, you know you go to Cape Breton as a musician, and the higher you like you get up, you're more well respected there. Whereas other places, it's kind of like get a job. <laughs> But anyway, there's this guy named Gordy Sampson, and uh, he was always playing in bands and this and that. But there was always something special about him that made him better than anyone else. Like that, you we've all met these people. They're like they've got this genius twist to their ability that almost makes them like infallible when they play. Like they're just they they can do a little bit more than you can, no matter how hard you try. You, they'll always be able to do something better. And there's tons of those people out there. I fucking love those people. So long story short, I I. Had the band, Gordy, uh, I'd known Gordy almost my whole life. He's a, he was five years older than me. And uh, he he called me up to his studio, which is like this world-class studio built by people from Los Angeles, come up to Cape Breton. And, and uh, I had written a couple of songs with him, my first time kind of co-writing, uh, for one of his records. 
and it kind of went pretty good because like, he, he would do these solo records they never really went anywhere it was kind of his, his uh, passion projects or whatever and then he moved to Nashville because he was just writing here and there because that's the epicenter of writing and uh, within like the guy within a months of moving to Nashville he wrote Jesus Take the Wheel and it was just like Grammys and awards and it was on American Idol it was everywhere there's even still memes about it right and uh, so he was hugely popular down there for writing this massive hit and he called me he flew me down to write for his next solo record flew me down twice in the same month and all of his kind of friends were kind of like you know you're fucking flying this Yahoo in from Cape Breton Island oh, right. this, this guy must be amazing which I wasn't right I, and I, especially country music I couldn't write a fucking I had no idea all I knew about country music was I hated it <laughs> well, that, that works was, that was all I cared to know about it and it took years and years but uh, I slowly learned the craft of that and started to kind of uh, as much, I don't know anything like these guys down there these guys are the ninjas right they know the business side of it the publishing ins and outs the law mm-hmm. the uh, the musicology of it all like how close can you bring one song to sound like another song without getting sued? Right, because they all sound. You'll, you'll hear a song on the radio, and it's like, "That's Jack and Diane." Mm-hmm. Only not. <laughs> just it's just, just enough. Not enough. It's just enough to be like, "I love this song," and I don't know why. I already because I song. already love this song because it reminds me of a song I can't put my finger on. <laughs> but anyway, there's a there's a massive hustle down there though. Like there's thirty thousand songwriters in one small town. And they all want the same thing and they will, you know, they will slit your throat for it. And at the same token, you, you get out of it what you put into it. If, you, if you're like, I'm moving there and I'm from 9 a.m. until 6 p.m. every night. I'm doing nothing but knocking on doors and writing songs and learning and making headway. And then you get a lot of people that are like, I'm thinking like that, but now I've got friends and they all party and now we party every day and mm. now I'm bitter because no one has discovered me in my right. drunken stupor of my basement. Right. I just, couldn't put the, I just couldn't put the Nashville time in. Whereas I probably, looking back, I would have used my time more resourcefully. Like, But uh, you don't think of those things at no. the time. You just don't. And you never know what tomorrow's going to bring, yeah. right? So I started getting a few minor hits, Canadian hits in, in country music with uh, just people, people like Jimmy Rankin and George Canyon and, and, the, and those guys. And I'm you know, writing with those guys to, these day, to this day. And I do love that. But it, it can definitely burn if you, it can burn you out, you know, because it's a different side of the, of the, it's like business and creativity at the exact same time. It's crafting. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, yeah, it's 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 a totally different side of the business, which is really what people are addicted to, and people like those writers and stuff. Man, they are so good. Like it's crazy how good they're so good musically, and you know with the genius factor and stuff. That I, I know this for a fact with a few of the artists that I work with. A few when I say artists, I mean songwriters down there. The few of the songwriters I've worked with, they're so fucking good that they skipped over the whole stardom part. And they, they have record companies to this day begging them to be like a star. And they're like, I'd lose money. 
<laughs> so they make more money writing music for Absolutely, other people. Absolutely, yeah. They're like, if I went down to be like a huge pop star, I would be, I'd lose like $20 million a year or something. You know, I'm writing, I'm writing right now for all the pop stars. Why would I go be one? It's ridiculous. Right. You know, put it on going on the road and blah, blah. They know this, right? <laughs> and they sit around and they talk about it very casually. Like, oh, EMI called this morning. They offered me $10 million, blah, blah, blah. But I say, fuck, I oh, know. I'll lose $10 million if I give you. And it's like, I'm like, I was eating like, cheese and crackers down there like I would be hoarding cheese and crackers and uh, the you know because I, I immediately kind of gone into the upper echelon of Nashville like I've skipped over like 10 years of kissing ass in Nashville and they'd be like yeah we're all going to dinner and they're more like yeah all right y'all we're all, we're all going to dinner down the road man let's go and it's like they're hillbillies but their dinner will be like $500 right <laughs> so they're like I oh, know I'm fine I just ate so I'd go to the bathroom and eat some cheese and crackers <laughs> they're like I'll just have coffee wait you sure you're not going to eat me no I'll just, the coffee's fine <laughs> I, mean, I don't know I could prattle on as far as your podcast goes I could prattle on <laughs> the industry and my shithead opinions about it forever man I love it like forever I like hearing it because nobody hears that side of it Unless you're in it, you don't hear it and you don't experience it. So, like, that's the interesting part about it. I've, I've played music and not with zero success, mind you, but, like... That's not true, man. I've seen you rock George's <laughs> Paul's Wharf in St. George. <laughs> yeah, well, we've definitely opened for you a handful of times, but it we never really got to see anything behind the scenes because we never really played any shows of any importance. We... Like, even when we played at Evolve, we just showed up, played, didn't even really hang out backstage. I was still young, and I still wanted to party. Yeah, I was yeah. there for the festival, not really to play. So, like, I never got to deal with corrupt bar owners or any sort of licensing or any managers, anything. Oh, man. Nothing professional. I'm dealing with that right now. I got an email the other day that said, I hear you're playing at this specific bar. I just want to let you know that the bar owner is is into this, you know, the political right. ideology, and uh, you shouldn't play there. And I was like, "Well, fuck! If I had to, if I had to, you know, not play at a bar because of a quirk of an owner, I would have no shows. Right? I would have no shows left. So, <laughs> but this is a weird age, man. It really is. I think it's the beginning of something good and scary at the same time, where you can be. You know, we, we worry about that brave new world of like, you're judged on your social credit system than on who you actually are and what you do. And we're, as Canadians, we're like, we'll never go that way. Mm-hmm. And then I was talking to a festival owner the other day who said, uh, we were just about to have this person at the festival. And then we got an email saying, I just want you to know that the drummer for this festival said this online five years ago. <laughs> And albeit it was a weird Lord. thing to say online, it was a political thing, but they dropped that person from the festival because the because the drummer from this band had said something five years ago. That is insane. So yeah, I look at it both ways. Yes, it's insane, but is it also a way to just weed out all the shit? That's what I, that's what that's the positive spin I put on everything that's happening right now yeah. politically. It's like it all seems really dirty and nasty and crappy and you can't believe you shake your head at what people are doing and saying. But it's like it's weeding out all the darkness. You know? Yeah. It's weeding out 
So you take that, that guy's, that guy's band has now, so that drummer probably got fired or something. Mm-hmm. And now that drummer's basically going to be unemployable. So now put that towards a political spectrum or a job spectrum. Um, no, you cannot be the principal of this high school because five years ago you said some Nazi shit on Facebook or something. We that's don't, all right. We don't want you here. <laughs> you know, that's okay. It's the slippery slopes, right? On both, yeah. on both sides. The slope gets slippery quickly. So, yeah, that's okay. Mm. I guess it depends on what he said. Is it, though? You know, he's, yeah. He's, but you that's say, the like, slippery slope. Hmm. I mean, everybody's got their political views, but to, I, it, like I said, it depends on what the guy said on Facebook. You say he said something political. That could be a wide range of things. He could say, I don't think Trump's that bad. Or he could say, death to, you know. Exactly. You know that's the mean? slippery slope. It's like, where do you start to draw the line? Exactly. Who's right? Who's wrong? Where? What freedoms are what? You know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, we got way off the track of music here, but <laughs> that's the power of editing. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay. I forget what we were talking about. That's okay. Not politics. Not politics. <laughs> it's a different podcast. Um, I like this. I think we should do this more. Let's do it all the time. I like this, and it sounds amazing. Good. Yes, we should do this. I would do it all the time. We'll pick, it, we'll pick actual topics. Now it's time for a new segment of the podcast. I've decided to call... Closing out the podcast with a song. So this song is called, uh, I have a long list of lies I tell myself. Little country tune. Sometimes I just pretend that she left me cause she loved me Need a little breathing room That's only temporary She probably hates it out in Vegas Probably ain't no someone else I got a long list of lies I tell myself well, I'm the king of wishful thinking I'm the president of blame Mix of fact and fiction Sometimes they're both the same thing But it gets me through this lonely night When your memory hurts like hell I got a long list of lies I tell myself I bet she's missing me like crazy Got a tattoo of my name I bet she's six rows down in a window seat On a coming home to me plane And any second my phone's gonna ring Collect from some old dive hotel I got a long list of lies I tell myself Well I'm the master of excuses When it comes to killing pain I mix a fact and fiction Sometimes they're both the same thing Whatever gets me through is a lonely night When your memory hurts like hell I got a long list of lies I tell myself I got a long list of lies I tell myself There you go. Awesome, man. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Let's go.